2 Samuel chapter 9. Did anyone notice the lawyer? Did anybody notice the new, I don't know if you'd call it an addition or something, Brother Smith, Bill Smith, Carol Bushnell, they've been working all week long putting up that plane's coat. And uh, they have done a tremendous job. I like the way it's looking. And uh, I think it's going to be a great accentuation to the beautiful building we already have. uh, It's just going to even make it stand out that much more. We've got painters coming uh, to do some painting. And uh, I think once it's all said and done, I think it's going to be really, really a great, great situation to, to the building. So we've got a lot of great things happening. The building is moving outside. They've got footings. You see plumbing and rebar is ready to drop. May have even dropped some. I don't know. Did they drop any? No, but it's coming. But it's all tied up, ready to. So some great things are happening there. We prayed the rain would kind of hold back a little bit and thank the Lord it did and everything will keep moving forward. So We've got some great things happening and things are kind of shifting and changing up and I thank God for that. We want to be on our best or put our best foot forward to reach the harvest that God's going to bring to us. And uh, I know that these things maybe ain't going to save nobody, but I tell you what, it'll make it a whole lot more welcoming and inviting for them to want to come and be a part of what God's doing in Indian Village. Are you thankful for it all? If you got your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 9, Brother Carol Bushnell, thank you. And I know Brother Smith ain't here, but I publicly want to thank you men for doing and helping. Verse 1, and David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may shew kindness or shew him kindness for Jonathan's sake? The word kindness there means mercy. That I may shew mercy For Jonathan's sake. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba or Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said, Unto him art thou Ziba. And he said, Thy servant is he. The king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may shew the mercy of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. The king said unto him, Where is he? Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machiar, the son of Amel in Lodabar. The king sent and fetched him out of the house of Machiar, the son of Amel from Lodabar. Now when Meshivasheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. David said, Meshivasheth, and he answered, Behold thy servant. David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely shew thee kindness and mercy for Jonathan thy father's sake. 
And I will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Verse 7 is where I'm going to take my text or predominantly launch from. But I want to read one more verse. Same chapter. Verse 18. So Meshivasheth dwelt in Jerusalem. For he did eat continually at the king's table. And was lame on both of his feet. I want to preach this morning. There's room at the king's table. There's room at his table. Let's lift our hands and ask God to talk to us today. Lord, I ask you today, I'm just a man. But God, you created all of us and you know the heart of every individual in this building. I'm asking, let your word arrest every human spirit. Let it touch every heart. Let it encourage. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus, we pray. I bind doubt and unbelief in this building today. And I ask you, let there be a liberty of the spirit. In Jesus' name, we pray. God bless you. You may be seated. There is, I might have mentioned this last time, or it seemed like a frequency. I've made the statement about the garden and the lie that was propagated in the garden. And, and I've touched on it. It was, a uh, matter of fact, Wednesday, I recall now. But another dimension of that lie or another uh, angle of that lie was God was holding back on them. And that God did not want them to eat of something uh, because uh, enemy relayed back to them that you would be like God's. But... The lie to it was that God is holding something back. It was an accusation against God on his character, or his nature rather. It was an accusing uh, statement that he used uh, to try to get Adam and Eve to begin to look at a nature of God that was false. That God was not holding out on them, but God was protecting them. Well, that accusation and accusations against him has not changed. That God's nature is as such, whether it be you've heard it from a friend or living in church or uh, being a part of the church for so long. We formulate these mindsets that oppose really the nature of God in the fact that God is merciful. We set limitations on God's mercy. We set stipulations on what we think God will do or won't do when it comes to mercy. When it comes down to just letting God be God and take care of people in mercy and reach for them like He so intended to do, it's there in that moment many times you and I step back and we say, well, now I'm not sure mercy will apply to them because they did this and this. But now mercy will apply to this, this, and this. And the line now is propagated again in 2019 that God only extends mercy to a select few of people or only selects or gives mercy to people that have only done certain things. Can I declare to this congregation today That God extends mercy to whosoever will. And it's not the church's determination of who mercy goes to. It's God's determination of who mercy goes to. Because he's got a table that's set. And he wants everybody to come to that table and eat at that table. If we're not careful, we will... Look at it from the angle of our intellectualism or our past hurts. or We become the sheriff of what we think is and should be right and wrong. 
When we fail to remember that if it had not been for God's mercy, you and I couldn't sit on the pew today and feel what we feel in this building. If it had not been for God's mercy that reached down for you and I, and when we had given up on ourselves, God's mercy came down and said, I'm going to cover all of that sin. God's mercy is unique. It's, it's beyond human understanding. Beyond human comprehension even. Mercy is you don't get. This is the coin mantra I hate to say. But in a sense we've used it over and over. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. You basically deserve to die and the judgment of God should fall on you and I because we sin against God's word. But somewhere in all of that, he provided a blood, a blood of a spotless, stainless lamb that could wash away me and your sin and take it away forever. And because blood was applied, mercy was free to reach for you and I and bring us into the fellowship and communion. I don't want it to ever be old that if it had not been for mercy, I couldn't have a relationship with God. You can't have relationship in denomination. You've got to have relationship in mercy. It had not been for God's mercy that reached to you and I. Where? Don't we have a song like that? Where would I be? Does it say mercy in there? Okay, add it in. Because it makes a good song. Where would I be if it had not been for his mercy? I was supposed, folks, you realize if we lived in the Old Testament and the law, when you sinned against God, the earth opened up and swallowed you up. <laughs> if there wasn't, there wasn't blood then at the Old Testament, I mean, at that point, it was bulls and goats that had no ability to take away the sin. But when the blood of the Lamb came, and that blood's applied to me and you through repentance and Jesus' name, baptism and receiving the Holy. When that blood's applied, mercy can come down where you are. And when you and I make a mistake and we fail God and we drop the ball and we're not where we need to be in God, mercy says, hey, remember the blood. Remember what the blood does. The blood puts you back in right standing. For now, brethren, we're justified by the blood of the Lamb. If it had not been for His blood to justify me... I could never kiss mercy and see that God is good and faithful. Because if I'm left to the mercy of man, man's cruel. That's why David said, I'd rather fall into the hands of God than to fall into man's hands. Because man don't deal justly. Man is not fair. Man does not give out what needs to be given out in a fair proportion. But when it comes to God, that's why we sang about it. All you need is God. If you can find Him in a relationship with Him, then something can transfer from you and Him that will help you through your days. David learned this. I don't know. David was never in the tabernacle. He never got to go in and see what the priest got to see in the tabernacle. David never got to see the, the glory in, over that Ark of the Covenant in that tabernacle when they were wandering through the wilderness those 40 years. David didn't get to see that. But yet, somewhere in that, I, I know David heard 
about that ark. He heard about the altar that was on the outside and then the laver of water then and inside the holy place where there was a candlestick and a showbread and an altar of incense, three other articles of furniture inside the holy place. But he knew that there was a veil separating that from everything. But on the other side of that veil was the Ark of the Covenant. No man could see it except that high priest. No man could go into there except that high priest. And once a year, the lamb was slain and the blood was then carried in two by that one man to make atonement for the sins of humanity or for the children of Israel that it would just roll another year. Hebrews said it, they were never taken away. They were just uh, pushed forward or, or still there, but yet it gave them a window of space for a year. So David knew the process. He knew the value of that blood and how that blood is what took care of the sins of the people. But there was another part of that ark I think David heard about. He knew the size of, he knew that that ark represented God's glory. The, see, it was the first article that was made in the tabernacle before anything else was made. The ark was made first because it represents God's approach to man. You and I can never come to God except he come to you first. See, we live in a society now that says we can just do it whatever we want and however we want, but we can't go against what Scripture tries to paint to us through precept upon precept and line upon line that God destined to come to you and I first and then waits for our response of what we will do. So mercy is there from the very beginning we see because of the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant represents God's glory it represents mercy. It represents God's judgment. All in the Ark of the Covenant. And God is trying to paint the picture for you and I. This is what I have. But it's up to you to respond to what I give. The Ark of the Covenant was two and a half cubits wide. One and a half cubit, or two and a half cubits long. One and a half cubit wide. By a cubit and a half high. You say, what does that matter? Just hang on. Patience. Patience. Let me be a preaching bill to the crescendo. <laughs> Got to hang on to the punchline. But the lid was different. The lid was the same size as the box in length and width. Two and a half cubit by one and a half cubit. But if you go read in Exodus, there's no depth or thickness or height to the lid. And what he's trying to paint for you and I, and David heard this, David knew this, that though the box is measurable, man's ability is measurable. But when it comes to God's mercy, it's immeasurable. And God's trying to show us even today, you might not have an Ark of the Covenant. There might not be a, a, a two cherubims facing one another in gold. But the mercy has not changed. His mercy is from heaven all the way to the earth and back again. It never changes. It's unlimited for you and I. His mercy, there's no top to how far His mercy will go. See, to the sanctified and saved we forgot that because we think it's all together but to us folk 
uh, that we didn't have a good, bad track record. Huh, Micah? My, my track record ain't the best. My track record's not very good at all, matter of fact. But yet I realize His mercy found me when everybody else might have threw me to the curb and said there ain't nothing left. God's mercy reached for me. See, that's the thing about God's mercy. It never gives up. Me and you may give up. We may throw in the towel. But in this end time, we better get ready because there's going to be people walking in that back door and they need the mercy of God. And you and I have got to exemplify that as the tabernacle of God now. If you've got the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're the tabernacle of God. The presence of God lives in you. And that mercy has got to be felt. David heard the stories and the depth of mercy that was on the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seed, as they call it, that had no height to how far it would go. David quickly remembers stories when he was running from Saul. And in the midst of that, when Saul was after his life to kill him, destroy him, anointed to be used of God, he found a friend in Jonathan. You see the correlation. David couldn't go into the ark, but he found somebody that knew how to show mercy. David couldn't go in and see that glory, but there was a Jonathan in the midst of that that said, Hey, David, I know things are not good for you right now, but I'm still going to be your friend. I'm still going to be there for you. I'm still going to show you mercy. I'm telling somebody in this building, God is trying to set a table before us, and it doesn't matter how lame you are in your feet, how crippled you are in your faith, how down and out you are in life. There's still a God in heaven that's trying to give you mercy. A church might not give you mercy people might not give you mercy but God in heaven will never stop from giving you mercy it's funny how mercy mirrored itself through a man Jonathan God can you see him no how is people going to see Look in the mirror. They're going to see what you and I do. Folks, we're living in a day. I wish we could just have a good old drunk. Come on. I wish we just had a good old drug addict, a prostitute. (laughs) Come on, catch up. Amen, oh my, oh me, something, oh E-I-O, farmer in the Dale, something. We don't have that. The day we live in is coming in with mixed up minds and emotions and baggage that's so heavy. People are having trouble carrying. I want every one of them. And God forbid we forget what mercy was done to us. When I was in trouble, when I was in a pickle, and I couldn't get it right, no matter how many times I tried, Micah, I can't tell you how many times I was at that altar asking God to forgive me. I'd mess up, and I'd mess up, and I'd mess up, and I'd mess up, trying to live for God, trying to find my place in God 26, 7 years ago, trying to figure it all out, and I'd mess up, and I'd mess up. 
But every time I went to that altar in honesty and transparency, mercy would come down where I was and pick me up. Let me tell somebody, there ain't nothing that you've done that God's mercy can't help you with. I know man and you, we may have to face things that man may say or may do, but you hear me. It should never stop you and I from having a relationship with him that the mercy of God can heal. The mercy of God can't restore. The mercy of God can't put a mind back together. Because face it, folks, the hour we're living in, it's going to be a group of people that we ain't going to fix it with self-help groups and church growth books and just having standard traditional church. But if we can have an apostolic move of God that the glory of God begins to manifest itself, out of that glory will come the mercy of God and will begin to heal the mind and the hearts of people. David knew through Jonathan about mercy. Because when David could have been turned over. See, here's what mercy does. Jonathan was Saul's boy. You would think there would be loyalty between a father and a son. The enemy of the throne was David. And furthermore, David was fixing to take Jonathan's seat. Are with me? You know what I mean? I'm trying to get you to read between the lines. Jonathan wasn't interested in position. He wasn't interested in power. He wasn't interested in some narcissist. He wasn't interested in it all about me. He saw something on David that said, there's something different about you. My dad's not in his right mind. My dad ain't doing what he needs to do. Somewhere in me and your belief, we got to realize when things aren't going right with others, it couldn't affect our relationship with God. Somewhere in all of that, we've got to realize I'm not going to let it steal what's right in front of me. And Jonathan went to David. And said, I'll cover you. I'll protect you. When David didn't deserve it, Jonathan gave it. Who is it in our life? We and people, society says, don't deserve it. The church says, they all deserve it. Man says, we pick and choose. I'm not dealing with, I'm not talking about the the baggage and the consequences from mistakes. That's a battle inside of itself. I understand that. You start bringing in the battle in marriages and homes right now that the world is facing. Folks, I realize that. The consequences of actions, yes, I see that. But somewhere in all of that even, I believe that God could take the consequences and begin to cut them to a minimum because His mercy is that powerful and His mercy is that great. What about all the baggage saying we don't have the answers to all of this? If we can get a pure flow of God's mercy moving in this place, it could cut the baggage in half or even cut it by three quarters. I don't know. Maybe cut it all away. I believe God's mercy is that powerful to do what's beyond you and I could ever imagine. I understand David's situation. He didn't deserve it. And surely, who would have thought he would have came from Jonathan? But David recognized, you're doing something for me that I don't deserve. And that's what God does for you and I every day. 
See, folks, this kind of understanding takes the load out of, that's my pew. Don't you sit there. I got a flag. Oh, trust me, true story. I've seen it. You're in my seat. To a visitor. God help us. Oh, true story. I ain't playing. No, 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 true story. See, but that understanding brings to us a different dimension of... See, because if we ever forget what mercy did for us, it's easy to forget how to give it. If I forget how crooked and messed up I was, y'all know God don't forget. I'm just going to give you this one for free. God don't forget. He forgives, but he don't forget. In the sea of unforgetfulness? No, sir. Not so. God don't forget. Because the Bible says at any moment he could pull that back out and restore back to you again what you and I choose to not give mercy to. See, David knew there's a power in mercy that I can't lose it for myself. See, he got a revelation. A revelation of God's mercy. And if we ever get a revelation of God's mercy for the church in the end time, I promise you this, a lot of our struggles would begin to dissipate and dissolve. Territorial identities would begin to dissipate and dissolve. Past hurts would begin to dissipate and dissolve. You say, well, how much mercy should I give? I'll let the scripture answer that. Seven What? Turn the cheek. My cheek's blue. I'm getting popped. I'm tired of turning. Turn and give mercy. See, because I think there's a part of us in humanity. We're never going to be perfect. We're never going to have it figured out. I'm never going to be the perfect preacher. You'll never be the perfect saint. I'll never be the perfect saint. And if I forget what mercy can do when I fail, And the way I remember it is, I'm reminded every day by people I'm surrounded by, give them mercy. Because it reminds me of where I was. See, David had that moment of mercy with Jonathan. So now time passes and sad story of Jonathan. I love him as the example, but notice where he died. He died with his dad. He had a choice to be with David, but he chose to live after the flesh. He had a choice to live unto the Spirit and follow the things of God through David who represents Christ or to follow Saul who represents the fleshly entity of life that you and I don't like to deal with. And Jonathan died by the side or died with his father saying what choice he made. Mercy. Failed that day. But yet, it came back again in David. Time passed and Saul and Jonathan are gone. David gets up and, matter of fact, when Saul died, the story goes back, 2 Samuel, I think maybe 3 or 4, Jonathan had a boy, Meshibosheth. Meshibosheth. Just call him Mo. (laughs) He's sharp. All these names drive me crazy. 
He had a son. And when they heard about the death of his grandpa and his father, the nurse grabbed that boy at five years old and ran out the door with him and dropped him. And Brother Mark, he got dropped. And because somebody else failed him, He's crippled. I'm preaching to people here today. You're crippled in your faith. You're crippled. Somebody dropped you. They failed you. We'll sign an affidavit or a contractor. They failed us. They failed me. Oh. They failed us. They failed us. We got dropped. And my faith now is crippled. Meshibosheth means shame, confusion. We're dealing with a society today, people, and now it's even the church. We're dealing with the shame and the confusion of what has happened to us by other people or even by our own fault. Regardless, I live with the shame of my mistake of yesterday. I live with the regret of what I should have done and I didn't do, Brother Charlie. I knew not to do that, but I still did it. Is there anybody want to get honest and say, I knew I was wrong when I did it? I'm preaching to you today. His mercy comes in when you say, God, I know I shouldn't have. But yet mercy comes down and said, I know you know you shouldn't have. But I can pick you back up. I can put you back together. There's room at the table with the king that he still wants to feed you. Somebody needs to hear me. I don't care what mistake you made. I don't care what ball you dropped. Throw away the measuring stick from the world. God doesn't have one when it comes to mercy. And there's an invitation for you to sit at a table and eat with the king. It's an invitation with a banquet of... That's what makes it hard for a preacher because I'm trying to preach you out of your crippled faith. She dropped him. A five-year-old kid. This is what spoke to me this morning. How in the world do you drop a five-year-old kid and he get crippled? I get a one-year-old, but a five-year-old, that's college material. Come on, folks, they're old. At five, you don't just drop them. I could drop drop them, probably that's what's wrong with them now, drop them. (laughs) And they're still walking. Nobody wants to say, yeah, that's what happened to my kids. Y'all don't want to get honest. But how does a five-year-old get crippled? Think about it, folks. Let's let our spirit dig in the spirit and the word of God. We read everything so topically. Think on it. Marinate in it. Something's off. Did that woman leave in such an abruptness? Was she the, not just the culprit in the fall, but 
To me, it speaks of age. This is what I felt the Holy Ghost impressed on me. He was older. And the generation we got coming in, they're older, they're mature. They're not little babies that couldn't defend themselves. It's people that know right and wrong. That's what I feel the Holy Ghost is telling Scott. You put it where you want, but that's what he's telling me. You're old enough. You know better. Yes, I know. But something in me just, just, just still wants to do it. Y'all don't face that, do you? I just still want to. I got an answer for you. God still got you a place at the table. Even when you know to do right, and Paul said it, when I know what to do, when I know to do right, I don't do it. When I know not to do, I, I know I shouldn't do it, and I still do it. And when I know what I should do, I won't do it. <laughs> Omission and commission, either one. I, I, I ain't good either way. Because there's a war in my members. There's something in me that don't want to die. That's why I'm telling some of you right now, you, there's room at the table, but you need to understand that flesh is only killed by an altar. It's only killed by, by days of fasting and prayer. Society don't want to tell you that. They want to tell you you can just name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, and you're going to be a millionaire in 10 days. The things and the blessings of God will only come when I set my life aside and I say it's about you and not me. Five-year-old boys, lame now in the feet, confused, shame. You think people don't know? Now, here's the thing. From the pulpit, sin's going to be preached. That's scripture. But sin's not preached from the pew, 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 pew. We live sin-free. See the order? The artery is the pulpit preaches sin. We as a congregation live sin free. They see our life. They see what we do. We throw the measuring stick away and say, I'm just living this because I love him, not because I have to. And people are coming in with shame and confusion. They don't know what they are. They don't know where they come from. They don't know who their mom and their daddy is. They don't know their gender. That's confusion. Belched out of hell. To hurt the creation of God. Because the enemy knows the thing God cares the most about is human beings. And if he can confuse their mind enough, They don't know what's right, what's wrong, who's real, who's not. Where's God? Is there a God? Confusion, they're crippled. And God's saying to the church, I still got room for them at my table. I got room for them at my table. I got mercy. And David was saying, I I need to find somebody. When was the last time we went on a search party? Give mercy. When was the last time we knocked on somebody's door and said, I'd like to invite you to the house of God? Well, that's the worst sinner in Indian village. That's more reason why you need to knock on their door. 
that's the worst person in the village. Then why ain't they here? Is that not what the church is for? Find the worst that God can make them the best. Thank God, Brother Ron, somebody didn't leave me and you where we were. Brother Mike, thank God somebody didn't leave us or where we were and said, you know what? He's just an old truck. He's just mean and gruff and hateful. But somebody said, I see something in him. I see something in him. I see something in him. I see something in her. And they reached. Mercy flowed whether it was verbalized or not when somebody said, come. And David said, I'm looking for somebody It's of the house of Saul. I'm looking for somebody that I could find. That I could show mercy to. You know what David was saying? I'm in debt to God's mercy. And because I'm in debt to God's mercy... I've got to pay that debt by finding somebody else and giving them kindness and mercy like they've never seen before. When they don't deserve it. Meshavashah, he never deserved it. He never asked for it. He wasn't knocking on David's door. I'm telling the Indian village, our harvest is out there. They're not knocking on our door because they're waiting on somebody to come to them and show them mercy. Show them what it's like to love God and love one another and be a part of a healthy orderly, functioning family. Because now they're a part of dysfunctional family. That's the world's terms. But you need to hear me. When they get in the house of God and God fills them with the Holy Ghost, they're a part of a family that's functional. They're a part of a family that has order. They're a part of a family. Sure, you're going to have brothers and sisters that are going to nitpick one another. But at the end of the day, we come back to each other and say, you're my brother. You're my sister. We're in this together. We got to make it together. If we want mercy, I see a table. That's so big. And God's saying, I got a seat for that one. I got a seat for your son. I got a seat for your grandson. I got a seat for your granddaughter. I got a seat for the worst criminal in Indian Village. I got a seat for the worst one in this area. I got a seat for the worst one in Island Pair. I got a seat for him at the table. And if we as the church can represent like David did, I'm looking for somebody that I can show mercy to. If it had not been for God's mercy, I'd still be in a broken, messed up life. I still would be broken and addicted to this, that, or the other. But yet through it all, mercy came and broke my chains. Gave me a freedom that I got to give it back to somebody else. And David said, go find me somebody. Is there anybody left? What a sad. Is there anybody? Mashiach, Mashiach. They said, he's one. Watch what the Bible says. David said, is there anybody I can show kindness? Meshibosheth means confusion. It means shame. It shows the identity and bad self-image that people have. That are coming. Even in the church. I know Holy Ghost people feel, the Holy Ghost feel that way. Shame and always under condemnation. I'm never good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be a good husband. I'm never going to be a good wife. I'm
I'm never going to be a good this. Somebody needs to hear me. As long as you and I keep trying, then you're good enough to be in the kingdom of God. This ain't about how good and how bad. This is about how obedient and disobedient. And as long as I give God my best and say, God, I want to please you. Mercy's going to be there. His grace is going to be there. His love is going to be there. There will always be room at the table. matter what you've done. I know men that have shot people. I know one right now. I refer to him all the time. He's one of the greatest testimonies I've ever seen. He's a gang member. Ex-gang member out of California. Oh, I told you what the stuff he did. He told me a little bit of it. Didn't want to tell me no more. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter the mistake. The mercy of God is always there at the table. Shame, confusion. Now watch. You know where Mashiach was? Does anybody remember the scripture? Lodabar. Do you know what Lodabar means? No communication. Just us four, no more. I don't want nobody sitting in my seat. Don't mess with that thermostat. Come on, that's old school preaching now. Come on, y'all. Y'all know it's true. No communication is where they are. A place of isolation. I'm preaching to people here today. You're in Lodabar. You feel alone. You feel helpless. You feel like there's no answer to your dilemma. You're suffering with the shame of your mistakes. And God just sent me. I could have just said it real easy like I've done in the past. Just a word from God is this. Here's mercy. Take it. Just mercy. Why do I have to convince you? Here's why. You've been isolated for so long. The pain has been so intense. The war in your mind has been so great. That when God gives us the offer of mercy, we think we're not good enough. God can use you. God wants to use you. And he's saying, I got a table spread. I'm saying, I'm ready. You say, well, I'm not good enough. None of us will ever be good enough. I'm not giving license to sin and do whatever. I think you know me well enough what I believe. But I'm reaching and trying to minister to somebody today that your mind is so torn and so pinned in that it'll never change. I'm here trying to tell you he's got a spot for you at the table. But you got to get up and come. No communication means no dialogue. No one there to comfort them. No one there to tell them, hey, I remember what Jonathan did for, for, for David. There was nobody there from Mephibosheth. He was by himself. Nobody saying, good job. I'm proud of your daddy. By himself in Lodabar. Alone. But see, the king knew. Is there somebody... I can show mercy too. That's hurting. He called for him. They said, there's one in Lodabar. Meshavosheth. He's crippling his feet. 
Musicians, come. I'm closing. Say, go get him. Mishibashev shows up. Watch what happens. Just a couple more points. Stay with me. Mishibashev got there and stood before the king. And look what he said. I'm a dog. Folks, I've sat across from tables. I've sat across chairs and conference rooms and places and whatever with people. And my hardest struggle is trying to get them to believe they're worth something. And the prophetic is for this entire. If there's ever a time we need the office of the prophet, we need that prophet now. I'm not talking about some card-carrying prophet. I'm talking a real prophet, a real apostle. That'll come in. The prophetic is what gives us the vision of where we're going. It's up to me and you to take, look and see in that vision and say, I can do it. It's the prophetic is what gives us hope. He said, I'm a dog. I'm worthless. I have no value. I have no place. I don't belong there. I can't go sit with the king. Somebody needs to tell me, I don't care how dirty, how no good, how worthless you feel. I'm preaching to you. That's a lie. God's got a value for you. God's got a purpose for you. God's got mercy. But you got to hear the call of the king. And you got to muster up a little bit of faith and say, God, I'll go even though I'm crippled. I'll go eat at the table even though I think I can't do it. He said, I'm a dog. And David said, Come here. Sit down at that table. Now, y'all ready? I'm closing. You know who was at the table? Anybody want to guess who's sitting at the king's table other than the king? Who's supposed to be perfect? He represents God, okay? Who's the people? Absalom. See, we don't figure that into the equation. The crippled faith lame boy had to sit by the beautiful, handsome. I'm not me and you. <laughs> That's what all the other folk thinking. Cripple. But to have to sit by the one that's got it all together. Somebody needs to hear me in the Holy Ghost. You come to church and you have to sit by one that's got it all together when you're crippled in your faith. Who wants to sit at a table with a bunch of people that got it together? Here's my word to you is, we ain't always had it together. We just stuck with it. We cleaned up real good. Good thing a deodorant helped us a little bit. And, and a good haircut and a good tailor or a good hair clothes ironer or something. And we kind of... Mercy kept reaching. When the first few years of us trying to live for God, we would fail and fail and fail. I'm trying to help somebody. Just stay with God. Stay in the church. Stay and live for God. Be consistent. Well, I'll never be like. I'll never be like. The Bible says we're unwise when we compare. Just come to the table. Don't compare yourself to who or that or the other. It's not fair. 
It would be like me comparing this church. Don't want me to do that? Compare you to a church that's just spiritually down the road in in a level and dimension that we're going to get? That's not fair. There's crippled faith. There's broken things that God's trying to heal and mend and put together. Here's what God's telling us today as a church and individuals and people that are going to come. Do you just want to come to the table and sit with the king? Like at the table, my past goes. That's what I learned. My past is the past. We can't change it. I said it a hundred times if I said it once. I can't alter the past, but I can put my past on the altar. I can't change yesterday. I can't change what I did. But here's what I can do. I can accept mercy today and be what I need to be today. Stand with me. Now, there's a difference of opinions. Some say the table was like Oriental style. They sat low and on pillows. Some say it was elevated. Neither or both of them are applicable to the point I'm fixing to make. When he came to the table, the lame Meshibosheth that was ashamed of what he had done and the mistakes he had made and the errors that he had whatever blaming himself blaming her blaming his life blaming his mama blaming his daddy that's a good point where was his daddy why was a nurse taking care of a kid where was daddy and mama taking care of that kid so he could blame anybody daddy was never there for you mama was never there but when he came to the table those crippled feet either got slipped up under the table or they got sat on when they sat on a pillow. Regardless, it wasn't the issue when you got to the table. So it doesn't matter what you've done or what mistake you've made or what ball you've dropped and I will sign a paper. I've dropped many. Sister Claudia, But every time I would get in an altar, I could kind of just curl up and put my feet up underneath me. And for a moment of time, I could forget every mistake, every error, every time I dropped the ball. And for one moment in my life, I could dive into that big old turkey leg. I could dive into that river. It's a beef. What happens in the spiritual? God's mercy comes. And my problem, my mistakes hid when mercy comes. And I get to eat at the table of God's blessings of favor and love and joy. Kind of like when we have a good service and we cry and we repent and we ask God to forgive us and we feel good and we leave and go, man, we had church tonight. You know what just happened? We sat at the table and mercy came and love came and peace came and hope came and we leave full because we ate at the table today. Somebody's 
being called for. Now, I know the Lord spoke this this morning, men's prayer. God, I thank God for men's prayer. God spoke very clear this morning, and he spoke this, because I knew what I was preaching. You're an Indian village. That will never work. I said, huh? He said, unless they forget who's watching. And in my mind, I'm having this dialogue, per se. He said, the hindrance is everybody knows everybody's business. And because everybody knows everybody's business, it hinders some from coming to the table. When the best thing you could ever do is don't worry. Well, they're going to judge me. You just robbed yourself of God's mercy. Well, they're going to think something bad of me. How bad do you want to eat at the table is the question. I don't care what you think. I want to eat at that table more than your opinion will bind me. Well, they know my history. I was raised in this church. Yeah. That's more reason why you need to eat at the table and show them what they're believing is not true and you're different. Not saying prove it, but if that's the motivation, eat at the table. So, he said, if they'll come today and don't worry about what people think, well, they know my business, they know me, they know this. If you'll forget that and just come eat at this table today, somebody will eat of something in the Spirit that when you leave here today, you will have what you need to face your tomorrows. So I'm going to make this altar different. I'm going to go old school, Brother Wade, Brother Charlie. Old school says, I open these altars. Is anybody man enough and strong enough to just step out by themselves and say, I need to eat today? Thank you, Sister Kim. A new convert that's willing to be the first one, spontaneous. I wish some of you saints would step out because I'm preaching to you. I'm not just preaching to new converts. God's mercy is trying to reach in your family, your sons, your daughters. Come. Come on, let's eat at the table of God's mercy today. Whatever you've done, just lift your hands, lift your voice, and tell God, God, I'm crippled. God, I don't feel I'm adequate enough. I don't think I got everything. I, I don't have the strength to live for you. Come on, tell him, God, forgive me. Forgive me today. Forgive me today. And take a bite of the table at the king's table. Let the king give you something you ain't never had before. Let the king give you something from his table that you didn't think was even on the table. <laughs>